Coming up next year on Next on the T is my guest, Damon Hack. Before I get to Damon, I want to remind you about two under men's performance wear. They're the unofficial underwear of the PGA and the 2020 Ryder Cup team. Ricky Fowler is their global ambassador, and over 50 other PGA, Corn Ferry, and Champions Tour players wear them. Just to mention a few, like David Toms, Jerry Kelly, Justin Thomas, William McGirt, Scott McCarron, and Chris DeMarco. The Joey Pouch technology provides the ultimate male asset management, delivering maximum comfort from the tee box to the boardroom to the bedroom. Use code NEXT20 to save 20% off your order at 2under.com. That's the number 2, U-N-D-R.com. 2under, performance in your pants. And you walk a lot of miles in life and on the course, so make sure you're walking in the right shoes. Scone changes the game with an affordable line of the most comfortable, versatile, slip-on golf shoes that can be worn anywhere. They're made with breathable microfiber fabric, spikeless treads, and an adjustable lace lock. And they're easy to clean, too. So spend less time changing shoes and more time living in them. Visit scony.com and use code NXT on T20. So next on T20 at checkout for 20% off. That's scony.com, S-K-O-N-I.com. They're also available at golf specialty retailers and green grass pro shops nationwide. Relax. Easy now. Find your happy place. It's all in the hips. Just tap it in. Yes! Find the latest clubs and apparel at Golf's Happy Place, the PGA Tour Superstore. All right, now back in making his fifth appearance with me here on Next on the Tee is Golf Channel host Damon Hack. Let me remind you about Damon's background. He's from L.A., graduated from UCLA with his undergraduate degree and UC Berkeley with his master's degree in journalism. He started out covering the San Francisco 49ers for the Sacramento Bee. In 2000, he moved over to Newsday covering the New York Knicks in golf. A couple of years later, he joined the New York Times covering golf and the NFL. In 2007, he joined Sports Illustrated covering golf and the NFL for them. And then in 2012, he is over at the Golf Channel. He's been there ever since and is by far one of the best hosts and interviewers in the business. And I'm very honored he is back and next on the tee with me. Hey, Damon, thanks for coming back on the show. Chris, good evening. How are you, buddy? I'm fantastic. How are you? Doing just just fantastic. Yeah, good for you. That's good news. Damon, 11 years now at the Golf Channel. I want to get your thoughts. When you look back over your time there, how have things changed with either the game or covering it during that time frame? Chris, it's the longest job I've ever had, uh, which is pretty cool to think. I had five years at the New York Times and five at SI, and I've been at Golf Channel longer than both those uh, wonderful establishments combined, and it's been remarkable to see the evolution of the game and the coverage of the game. I think we've kind of moved to to the point from the early 2000s when I first started covering golf. It was clearly the Tiger Woods tour. There were the Tiger Woods events and then there were the non-Tiger Woods events. And and, and now we're in this era of post-Tiger Woods babies, uh, the Spieths and the JTs and the John Roms and the Scotty Schefflers, guys that are kind of grew up in his image. And obviously there's a lot of strife and fracturing at the highest level of the game as well, which has been surprisingly or maybe not surprisingly a huge topic of conversation to the point where it's right on par around the same level with the 
the tournaments themselves, but it's been a, an exciting and interesting year and a half. Uh, it's been an exciting 11 years. I still go to work every day with a smile. Um, my my role at the channel has evolved to include interviews on NBC, Players Championship, Bay Hill. I've got the U.S. Open in my native Los Angeles coming up, which will be a life full circle moment for me. Someone who didn't grow up playing golf will be interviewing players at L.A. North, which I didn't even know existed when I was a kid. So very much looking forward to June in our national championship. Damon, you mentioned the split, obviously, between the, the Live Tour and the PGA Tour. I want to get your thoughts. As you look out into the future, where does this thing end up? How does this thing get resolved? Do they come back together? Does the Brooks win help get people back at the table to talk? I don't know. What are your thoughts? Where does this thing go from here? Yeah, I, I don't like the litigation that I'm seeing. I, I think that the players themselves, how they've comported themselves, for example, at the Masters tournament we saw, Players from the PJ Tour and live coexisting. Uh, we've heard some harsh language from time to time, but I think when when Thursday comes, especially in these major championships, you're seeing the players um, leave it inside the ropes and compete at the highest level. Um, I, I've been very vocal about some of my issues with the Live Golf franchise. My biggest issue is just with the fracturing of the sport. And uh, I think that, that you'd be foolish if you're a PJ Tour fan to say that the PJ Tour hasn't been hurt by the loss of some pretty notable characters in Bryson DeChambeau and, and Brooks Kepka and Sergio Garcia. Um, I think a lot of us maybe were thinking that the live golf players would be hurt by 54-hole events on golf courses that maybe aren't as recognizable as those that we see weekly on the PGA Tour. But if the first couple of major championships have shown us anything, it is that uh, the quality of Phil Mickelson and, and Brooks Kepka and Bryson DeChambeau has remained. And I imagine that might be a theme to continue on Golf Today, our program on Golf Channel. I wondered if, the, if this would be like a Roger Bannister moment where Brooks Kepka's win enables other live golfers to feel like they can get the job done when they have the moment in a major championship as well. But but to answer your original question, I do hope that at some point cooler heads prevail and that uh, if not a merging, I don't ever see that happening between these two entities. I'd like the litigation at some point to end and the focus to go back inside the ropes where most of us want it to be. If you look out two, three, five years down the road, do you think live has longevity? Do you think this thing still exists that far out into the future? Or do you think the Live Tour and the PGA Tour, they come back together, they have conversations, this all comes to a head, and we get resolution and get back together? What are your thoughts? Where do you see it down the road? I just wonder what the business model is that Live is operating under. They have a lot of money you know, bankrolled by this public investment fund, fund from the uh, Saudi Arabian government. They're making a billion dollars a day from oil. They're, they're flush with cash. But this, from a financial standpoint, it doesn't seem like a profitable organization at this point. The, the numbers in terms of viewership, very, very down. But at the same time, they had a very nice um, gate at the Tulsa event. Great buzz, a lot of fans. Um, and it does seem like, in some ways, the tour is becoming more palatable, if not more viewed by the general sports fan. I think as long as 
the folks at the PIF and the Saudi Arabian government and Mohammed bin Salman are interested in the sport of golf, despite maybe not making money off of it in the short term, I could see them continuing to bankroll it, and especially coming off of Brooks Kepka's win at the PGA Championship, quietly probably thinking that it does in some ways legitimize live golf as an enterprise. Let's switch gears and go back and let's talk about the PGA Championship. So many great storylines unfolded over the four days of the tournament. What are some of your favorite moments that you got to witness last week? Well, Michael Block, and, and not going to be an original idea, but the fact that I'm from Southern California, uh, he's from Southern California, and has been at the same golf club, a Royal Tribuco, for decades now, age 46. This is a kind of like a public-private kind of daily fee. They do have a membership there, but you can pull up and play uh, if you'd like to. And to see this guy who doesn't hit the ball very far, but quietly, you know, the likes of Paul Goitos and other pros from Southern California will tell you that Michael Block can, can more than hold his own against PGA Tour level players and occasionally beat them. To see him lead with his heart and play with his heart, he popped those AirPods in, did a couple of interviews with ESPN and CBS and and felt like he was going to have a good week and went out there and did just that, playing alongside Justin Rose on Saturday and Rory McIlroy on Sunday. And for him to make an ace on the 15th hole, you can't make that up. And, and his love of golf and to hear him describe it, saying he loves the game of golf more than anybody on that entire property at Oak Hill, it, it gives you goosebumps when you see him then go out and hole a shot from the 15th tee, and he's asking a four-time major champ, hey, Rory, did that ball go in? I mean, that's magical stuff. And the up and down on 18 to secure that T15 finish to get him into Valhalla in 2024. Those are the moments to me that as a golf journalist have always brought me back. You know, it's Tiger chipping in in 2005 at the Masters. It's it's Phil, you know, through the trees in 2010 or or making the putt no four uh, that he said that his late grandfather might have uh, from the heavens, you know, knocked that putt in on the 72nd hole. It's the duel in the sun in 77 with Nicholas and Watson. And I didn't see it, but I read about it. Great writers like Frank DeFord chronicled it. And I was able to, to feel like I was there. The stories of, of 86 in Jack and 97 in Tiger, which I watched with my father, uh, those magical moments to me are, are what brought me and so many others to the game. And I just think that Michael Block in, in some small way embodied the the magic and the mystery and the love of this game. And Brooks Kepka walked away with the Wanamaker trophy, but I still think that that Michael Block was the story of the second major championship of the year. Do you think since Brooks did walk away with the Wanamaker, is he the odds on favorite to win the US Open now? I tell you what, the resume would say yes. Uh, he's already got two U.S. Opens. If L.A. North is running firm and fast like like Shinnecock Hills was in 2018, you know, why not? The man has proven that he is an absolute major championship warrior, a nine-time PGA Tour winner with, with five major championships. I mean, that, that percentage, that ratio is just not something we've seen very often, you know, Andy North three PGA Tour wins, two U.S. Opens. But to see Brooks Kepka get his swagger back after the depths of injury and 
dyed blonde hair, midlife crisis, confidence in absolute retreat to put his body back together and his belief system back together uh, reminds us all just how dominant he was between 2017 and 2019 and how dominant he may be once again. Um, switching gears just a little bit, Randall Shambly and, and Brad Paxson had an interesting debate about Brooks and the, and the live guys playing in the Ryder cup and the Ryder cup isn't a PGA tour event. It's another PGA of America event. And, and Brad's point was that, you know, Brooks would be playing for his country and none of those guys out there are playing for their tour. They're playing for their country or their region. Do you think Zach Johnson is going to be allowed to consider a Brooks, a Bryson, a DJ, maybe a Patrick Reed for the U.S. Ryder Cup team? Last week, say, listen, I want the 12 best players on that team. It's been, what, 1993, the last time the Americans won on the road in a Ryder Cup in Europe. And I know that that's a storyline that is wearying to the players who will make up the crux of that team. I think if Brooks Koepka, who's currently second in the standings for the United States Ryder Cup team, qualifies on one of those six automatic spots, that he will be granted that spot. And if he's number seven or eight or 11 or even 14, if Scotty Scheffler and Justin Thomas want Brooks Koepka and Dustin Johnson on that team, you better believe that they will have uh, lots of legroom on a nice, comfortable seat on that flight to Rome. I, I do think because it's a PGA of America event that it's it's a different question than what tour you play for. Uh, it's going to be about trying to find a way for the American squad to get off the schneid in what has been a long and fruitless uh, journey so far to end what has been a streak of dominance, European dominance, when the biennial event is played. Uh, in the old country, in the old world. Damon, as we look ahead to next week's tournament at the Memorial, I'm a huge Jack Nicholas fan. I know you've been there and covered that event. What's it been like for you to, to cover that tournament and then getting to spend some time with Jack and Barbara around Muirfield Village? So cool. The Buckeye milkshake is one to have if you've ever been <laughs> the Memorial tournament. But you're right. Jack Nicholas holding court on a Tuesday or Wednesday of that week. and there's an auditorium there. It's really neat. Uh, it's, it's like a media center, but it's got like the stadium seating and the, the, the old school Jeff Babineau's and Doug Ferguson's and back of the day, Clifton Brown and Larry Dorman, you know, the, 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 the late great Tim Rosefort. We'd all be sitting in there and listening to, to Jack hold court, you know, he'd do it for the cameras. And then the, the newspaper guys would kind of stick around and, and Jack would just hold court and talk about anything from the furrowed bunkers at, at uh, Muirfield Village to, to Tiger Woods in the state of his game to, to whatever topic under the sun. My great friend, the late, great Dave Anderson, Pulitzer Prize winning columnist for the, for the New York Times, who was a colleague, said in his opinion, the two greatest quotes in sports history were Jack Nicholas and Muhammad Ali. I never got to speak to Muhammad Ali. But I've gotten to speak to Jack Nicholas, and his comfort and honesty with the media is one of the great gifts to those who cover this game. Damon, you mentioned Tiger, and 
We've seen him struggle his way through a few rounds over the last 12 plus months, and he's now recovering, obviously, from yet another surgery. He's talked about playing the majors and playing the father-son, which might be his fifth major. Do you think he'll continue to push himself to get his body back and right and in, in position to play at Augusta National next year? Or or might it be time for him to let his body relax and maybe look ahead to playing on the Champions Tour in a little over two years where he'll be able to ride and take a card and not have to push that foot and that leg to walk those courses? Where do you, yeah. where do you see him going? I, I think he's still going to try to find a way. You know, this ankle surgery supposed to alleviate pain, but also limits mobility to a certain extent. But I got to spend some time with Tiger at his junior invitational at the Hay at, at the Monterey Peninsula, Pebble Beach in the fall before the, the plantar fasciitis had, had really set in. His golf swing, his attitude, his stories that he told the kids there about just how much he loves to work. Um, talking about conversations with the late Kobe Bryant, who told him, what are you willing to give up? What are you willing to sacrifice to be great? I, I just think Tiger is one of those rare Michael Jordan, Tom Brady, Kobe Bryant, Wayne Gretzky athletes who will be tireless and find a way to 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 kind of silence the doubters. And, and maybe he won't. Maybe 2019 in the Masters, that will be his Jack Nicholas, 1986 moment, but I just, having been around him, I just don't see him going quietly you know, into that night. He, he's just wired in, in a certain way, doesn't sleep all that well, uh, doesn't need the eight and nine hours of a, a night that most mortals do, and I think that he wouldn't have put his body through what he has, wouldn't have gone under the knife once again without thinking that maybe there's just one glimmer of hope, still wants to play golf with his son, Charlie, every December in Orlando. And, and my goodness, uh, if we've seen anything through the years, the Jacks, the Phils, the Bernard Langers, the Fred Couples, the Tom Watsons, the Ray Floyds, Tiger Woods believes that Augusta National is still a place, if it's not rainy and 27 holes in the same day, that he can use his savvy, his history, his guile, and his gifts to find a way to compete in the first major championship every spring. David, I got to get an update on the state of your golf game. Our resident director of instruction here on this show is our mutual good friend, Tom Patrick, who we both love. How are you playing? How's, how's it going out there for you? Actually, the spring has started off pretty well. I got to play Rye Golf Club, Devereux Dem um, Devere Emmett Design to, to start my golf season. Was recently invited to go back to Pebble in the fall for the Pure Insurance, which is bunch of wonderful first tee kids and finished tied for second at the end of last year. So I'm starting the year with great optimism. Tom Patrick continues to lean on me to work on my short game, which has been a bit of a blind spot for me. But uh, I actually pitched the ball okay to start 2023. So Chris, you know me, I'm an optimist. Glass is always half full. Uh, I'm very excited that even at the age of 51, I still think my best golf uh, is ahead of me and not behind me. There you go. One more before I let you go. I got to get an update as well. How how the boys doing? I always love to see the pictures you post on Instagram. Chris, we're doing great. The boys are fantastic. We took my wife to a nice Mother's Day brunch, and the boys are playing more tennis than than golf or basketball. Um, they're competing in USTA junior events. Our years in Orlando at that Lake Nona USTA Center really kind of imbued them with a love of tennis. We watch as much Carlos Alcaraz and 
Novak Djokovic as we do John Rahm and Scotty Scheffler and, and LeBron James. So we've got a, a busy house, but the boys continue to keep me young and, and make me smile. I feel very blessed to, to be a, a dad of an 11-year-old triplet boys. They're, it's never a dull moment, that's for sure, as you can imagine, Chris. No doubt, but good for you. <laughs> Damon, before I let you go, how can our listeners continue to follow you and stay up to date with all the great things you're doing by following you on social media? Oh, very kind, Chris. At Damon Hack GC on Twitter and Instagram and at Goats and Grapes and uh, GoatsandGrapes.net, where I've recently launched a new website that kind of talks about the intersection of wine and, and athletes. And I'm a big wine collector don't nearly drink as much as I used to because I don't recover as well as I used to as I'm, I've reached my 50s. And, uh, I'm, you know, I'm having to have one glass of, of wine because the recovery is not so great the next day. But I still like a nice Cabernet Sauvignon or Bordeaux or Barolo or Pinot Noir or Brunello uh, if the spirit moves me. David, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to come back and be a part of the show. It's always a huge thrill and a privilege to get to spend some time with you. I hope we get that privilege again and maybe a little bit later on this year. Chris, it's always a pleasure. Uh, best of luck to your stillers. <laughs> appreciate you very much. Thanks, Pat. Take care, David. All the best to you and your family. We'll catch up soon. And you. Thanks, David. That is the great Damon Hack, folks. It doesn't get better than that guy. You won't find a better person anywhere on the planet than Damon. We all know what a wonderful host he is on the Golf Channel. He's a fantastic father. And like you heard at the end there, a fine player in his own right. How how he couldn't be with Tom Patrick as his coach would be a mystery, but uh, his game is coming along. And uh, like I say, it's a huge thrill to get to spend some time with him. And he's very, very busy, very generous with his time and just a wonderful human being. Again, be sure to follow him on Twitter and Instagram at Damon Hack GC Goats and Greats. Check out uh, his, his wine uh, website. That's fantastic as well. And like I said, I hope we get the privilege of catching up with Damon maybe a little bit later on this summer.